You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.church. Now, as Corey said, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. And whether you're gathered in this room right here, right now, or you're tuning in online, hello to our live stream. We're so thankful that you're here with us this morning and worshiping with us. Every time we gather in person, online, I mean, God is always on the move. He's always on the move. God is always up to something. Oftentimes, we can't see what he's up to. We love the times when we can experience him personally and feel his presence But whether it's big or small ways, like Corey mentioned, God is always on the move. And one of the exciting things for me is that he's not just moving here in our church. God seems to be doing something around the nation right now. I know some of you have been paying attention to what has happened down in Kentucky with Asbury College and Seminary. I mean, it's a a profound story about what God is doing. If you don't know, if you're not aware, I'll give you the quick summary. The the reality is that that Asbury, it's it's a Christian school. They're cranking out pastors and sending them out to the world. And as part of their training, they have chapel services multiple times a week, three times a week. It's consistent. They basically do the same kind of stuff that we would do here on a Sunday. They gather for worship. They hear a message. They pray for one another. And don't we all know that's like sometimes we sing all your favorite songs. Sometimes I preach an above average sermon. And sometimes like it falls flat and we all need to go out for lunch and just kind of get to the next week. This, there's way too much laughter for that. Like I needed no, oh no, Jeff, it's good every week. <laughs> this is the reality. Like every week isn't Um, amazing. God is moving nonetheless. But a couple of weeks ago, on February 8th to be exact, at one of those chapel services in Kentucky, the Spirit of God fell on that chapel service in a dramatic way, in a profound kind of way, and word got out that God was up to something at this chapel service. So more and more students started coming. They were skipping classes. They were spending extra time. And one chapel service just ran right into the next one. And that one ran right into the next one. And that one ran right into the next one. And sooner or later, they realized this has been going for a week straight. All the way through 24-7 chapel services. And I love the reports. They've now estimated over 50,000 people have gone to one of those services. They're talking about physical and mental healing, depression being lifted off of people's minds. They're talking about the the culture of repentance and forgiveness and people being called to ministry and then released. I mean, I have people from all over the nation texting me, Jeff, do you think this is revival? Do you think This is revived. My dad, who doesn't even follow this kind of stuff, texted me, and he said, what is going on in Kentucky right now? What's going on in Kentucky right now? And look, the the word revival, it's an interesting word, right? Revival is an interesting word. It has baggage for some of us. For some, when we hear the word revival, the first image we think of is like a tent that gets rented and an evangelist that we pay and a poorly lit sign that says revival starts Monday at 7. 
And I have found, look, this is just my opinion. You're not going to find it in scripture. I'm going to share it either way. I have found that if you need a sign to say revival starts on Monday, it might not be a revival. Maybe. I don't know. You can discern for yourself. But like compare that to like the Welsh revival in, in, in history would look at the Welsh revival that started in 1904 and they would say, now here was something. This, was, this changed a whole nation and actually it changed nations. When revival happened in, in the Welsh revival in 1904, salvations were like, you could like have competitions on how many people you would lead to Christ over dinner. Baptisms were insanely popular. Healing was happening all over the place and, and even behavioral change was happening in that city so much that crime literally dropped to 0%. The cops had nothing to do. That happened almost, oh, just over 100 years ago. And God does occasionally move like this. And so when it comes to Asbury, you know, honestly, like I'm not sure how you want to think about it or how you want to talk about it, but I do have a quote that I want to share with you from the president of Asbury's College and Seminary, Dr. Kevin Brown. I love this quote. This is what he said. Whether you call this a revival, a renewal, an awakening, or an outpouring, what we have experienced on campus here the last few weeks is unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. In other words, I don't care what you call it. I've never experienced this before. I love that quote because it reminds me God is on the move. He's up to stuff. We can't create a wave of God, but when one comes, man, you want to ride that thing. And I want you to pray with me that, that it spreads all over our nation because right now, I feel like we're having a little bit of a cultural moment in the United States. And, and I, I'm like putting all the pieces together, right? But this is happening in Asbury and College and Seminary. And I don't think it's like a shocker that while that's happening, Hollywood just kicked out a movie called The Jesus Revolution. Now, if you haven't seen Jesus Revolution, like I would encourage you to go to it. I took some of my staff to it. We enjoyed ourselves. And, and the reason why it's interesting for us is because although it's not the vineyard's story, it is kind of the context in which vineyard was birthed. And so you, you see this story, you hear this story, you begin to put these pieces together. All of a sudden, people in the culture, whether they're Christians or not, are starting to ask the question, what about God's power? What about the Holy Spirit? What is God up to? It feels, I don't even mean this in a hyperbolic way. I mean this truthfully. It feels like an answer to prayer. And not just my prayers and not just your prayers for God to move, but actually ancient prayers that we find in the scripture. Biblical prayers that you can open up to and read, that people have been praying for 2,000 years, asking God to move and keep on moving. I'm going to share one of those prayers with you in a moment. This is a biblical prayer from some of the earliest followers of Jesus. They prayed it over their church. They prayed it over their lives. And, and I would just encourage you, put this one in the memory bank and, and pray it over our church and pray it over your life. It's in Acts 4, in uh, Acts 4 chapter... Yeah, Acts 4, verse 30, excuse me. This is how they prayed. Oh, Lord, would you stretch out your hand with healing power? May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's a good prayer. You want to know how to pray? If you want to learn how to pray, just steal the prayers from the Bible. 
They're way better than what we can come up with. Lord, stretch out your hand with healing. Would signs and wonders come to glorify the name of Jesus? This is a prayer that has marked the vineyard, no doubt. It's a prayer that's marked my life. And it's a prayer that has really created kind of an umbrella verse for this entire series. The series we're starting today called Signs and Wonders. This will take us all the way to Easter, by the way, because one of the greatest signs and wonders, no, the greatest sign and wonder is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate on Easter his resurrection on the tail end of this series. And you can be sure that throughout this series, we'll, we'll talk about all the signs and wonders that you think I'm going to talk about, the big dramatic ones. But I also want to let you know, we're going to talk about some lesser known signs and wonders, signs and wonders that are in scripture, but signs and wonders that we sometimes skip over because they don't seem quite as dramatic, but they're a sign and a wonder nonetheless. Those will be coming in the, in the future weeks. But today we are going to start this series. I am a sucker for drama, so let's start with a big one. We're going to start by talking about healing. We're going to start by talking about healing. And I want to start by recommending a book for you. I, I don't know if you're readers. I would encourage reading. I think it's really great. Um, I love to read. And one of the books that I have come to love when it comes to healing is this book by John Wimber, and it's titled Power Healing. It's titled Power Healing. I put a link to this book in the sermon notes online if you want to go out on Amazon and grab that. But I would, I would really recommend it. It's, it's well done. Um, it's, it's written really, really well. It has great stories as well as great theology. And just listen to some of the chapter titles. Here are some of the chapter titles. Like One, why does Jesus heal? A vision of his compassion and mercy. A vision of his compassion and mercy. What does Jesus heal? He heals the whole person. Or this chapter title, Overcoming the Effects of Past Hurts. Because don't you know that, that sometimes unforgiveness can impact the experience of healing that you have? Healing the body. Or this one that I think is really theologically sound, not everyone experiences healing. And what do you do when that happens in your life? When you cry out for healing but don't have your prayers answered. The book is incredible in terms of helping you understand the kingdom of God and the mercy of Christ and the ministry and the power of God when it comes to healing. Very early in the book, John also writes that personal salvation, personal salvation is the greatest miracle of all. A giving your life to Christ and being forgiven of all of your sins and saved for eternity, this is the miracle of salvation, and it is the pinnacle of all signs and wonders. Everything else falls under that category. And we believe that at the Vineyard. We are desperate for healing at this church, but we're even more desperate for people to give their life to Christ for the very first time. If you've never done that before, then I just want to let you know, every Sunday we gather, we invite people to give their life to Christ for the very first time. And so I'm just letting you know, by the time we finish our Sunday together, I will ask you two direct questions. One, are you ready to give your life to Christ for the first time today? And two, is there any part of your body that needs God's healing power? That's what we're going to ask today. Our scripture for today as we kick off the series is one of my favorite healing passages in all of the Gospels. It's a story of Jesus healing a leper. And I just want to enunciate that really well because my daughter thought I said leopard. <laughs> Jesus heals a leper in Matthew 8. Read with me verses 1 
through 4. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who've been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. Four short verses, a condensed uh, picture of this healing story. And there's a lot to work through in these four short verses, but here's what you need to know on the front end. That Jesus is willing and able to heal you today. If we were to create a big idea or a thesis of this passage, that's what it is. Jesus is willing and able to heal you today. He can do it. He can do it all. And he loves to do it. He loves to heal body, soul, and spirit. He is willing and able to heal you today. If we dig into the scripture, though, it's important that whenever you read a passage that you understand the context of what we're dealing with so that you can really pull the the truth out of the text in in the biggest kind of way. And so when you look at this scripture and you think about the context of what's happening in the ministry of Jesus at this time, you have to remember he's walking down the mountainside, but what is he walking down from? He's walking down from just having preached the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And there are hundreds, likely thousands of people following him as he works his way down the mountain. Now, this is important because it gives you a picture of the kingdom of God. He was just up on the mountain and he was teaching about the kingdom. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is, what life looks like in the kingdom of God. He just got done teaching about the kingdom and now he's coming down the mountain and he's going to now show us the kingdom. He taught about the kingdom, now he's going to demonstrate the kingdom. It's proclamation and demonstration. It's show and tell. See, we we seek his words and we seek his hand, both. Because that's the model that we see in Scripture. And we want our lives to reflect his. I want this church to reflect the life and teachings and ministry of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to follow in his footsteps... That means we are going to be about proclamation and demonstration. We are going to preach God's word and we are going to seek his hand. That's part of who we are at the vineyard. It's part of what we do when we gather. But it's really hard to grasp the totality and extravagance of God's love in this text, particularly in verse 2 and 3. I mean, it's incredibly difficult for us to understand how wild this scripture was in first century Israel. You just have to imagine with me. Imagine with me the scene. Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone is saying to themselves, oh my goodness, this man preaches with such authority. He teaches with such authority. He's unlike any other teacher we've ever heard. And then he starts to walk down the mountain. After preaching this sermon, he walks down the mountain and one of the first people he meets, he's just interrupted in verse two. He's just interrupted with a leper who comes to him and falls to his knees before Jesus 
and cries out, if you're willing, I know you're able. Now, side note, that word kneel, it's the same exact word that we would use to display someone worshiping before the throne of God. It's the same word we would use to display someone who kneels before a king and pledges their allegiance to their kingdom. This is what it takes in our hearts when we come before the Lord to kneel at his feet and cry out for mercy. But here's the problem with the text. Lepers aren't supposed to act like that. In the days of Jesus, that's not what lepers were supposed to do. They weren't supposed to be bold. They weren't supposed to be outspoken. And they definitely weren't supposed to approach religious leaders and get that close to them. This would have been completely shocking to anybody who would have witnessed this scene. And it's hard for us to grasp because we don't really live with leprosy in the way they did in 21st century America. Leprosy isn't really a norm for us in our days. But, but in the days of Christ, in the days of the Old Testament, in all of the years leading up to the ministry and teachings of Christ, I'm telling you, lepers were the worst they were the worst of the worst. People despised lepers. In Bible days, it was a death sentence. It was highly contagious. And so what happened over the course of years and customs and culture is that eventually people hated leprosy, and with it, it meant they hated lepers. This is the reality. Leprosy starts with red dots all over your skin. And it slowly grows and it slowly expands. And then eventually those red dots, they begin to change color and it affects all of your skin. Your skin begins to change color. Quite literally, your body starts to rot from the inside out. That's what happens. And so your hair starts to fall out. Your eyebrows start to fall out. Your fingernails and toenails, they get loose and then they fall off. Your joints, they begin to rot from the inside out, and so you can't use them in the way that you need to use them anymore. And the facial disfigurement follows shortly after because of the rotting flesh. Your nose would start to fall off. Your ears would start to fall off. Your gums would recede. Teeth would fall out. Even your eyes could rot from the inside out. Now look, by the way you're looking at me right now, I'm realizing now this is quite a bit for Sunday morning. <laughs> But I, I'm expressing it in such detail because you have to know the pain of this man. If you don't know the pain of this man, then you'll never know the mercy of Jesus in this text. And so we have to explain what this was really like for this man, what it's really like in the culture of this time. I mean, you become, with a diagnosis, you're the walking dead. For real. Not the AMC special real, walking dead. You're living your life waiting to die, and you're doing it alone. You're doing it alone because all the facial disfigurement stuff and all the rotting flesh stuff, that's just how it affected you physically. The emotional side of it, the societal side of it, the spiritual side of it was probably way worse. If you got diagnosed, you were instantly cut off from society instantly cut off from society. And I don't mean like your family still loves you. No, they kick you out of the family. Because they are so terrified of that, that disease spreading to everyone else in the family. And so you were left to wander in the wilderness by yourself. And the only other people that you could combine forces with were other lepers who were also kicked out. 
of society. Wandering by yourself. Wandering completely alone. You could no longer gather for worship because they were terrified you would spread the disease. And on top of that, the religious leaders, they had this belief, they had this worldview that had kind of gotten warped over time. They actually thought it was your fault you were sick. That there was some kind of sin or hidden sin that maybe you weren't talking about or a sin that was passed down to you from your parents and now you're getting what you deserve. That was the religious idea of the day. This man, it would have been years since this man had any kind of physical contact at all. It would have been years. It was so bad that in the days of Jesus, if you had leprosy, you literally had to walk around. And the only thing that you were supposed to shout out for everyone else to hear is unclean. Unclean. You walk into a room, I'm unclean. You walk in the alleyways, unclean. You go to buy groceries, unclean. And when you would hear that, you would move to the other side of the store. You would hold your breath. You would avoid eye contact. And you would have that pharisaical disgust in your mouth because you thought they deserved it. This is where the man's physical body is. This is where his heart is. You can feel the desperation now, right? This man was desperate for an encounter with Jesus. If you got leprosy, your life was just going to be marked by shame and ridicule, rejection, and pain. And you were going to be left hoping for death. Hoping that you could finish this life and move on to the next. Then the man heard the most amazing sermon he had ever heard. A sermon unlike anything he had ever heard before. A sermon that left everyone saying, this, this Jesus, he teaches with authority like we've never heard before. So Jesus starts walking down the mountain. And after years and years and years of being rejected and alone, he has the boldness and the courage to interrupt the life of Jesus Christ and cry out to him on his knees before the king of all kings. Lord, if you are willing, I know you can heal me. If you're willing, if you're willing to take a moment out of your day, if you're willing to look at me like no one else has ever looked at me, if you're willing to touch me, I know that you can heal me. Then verse 3. Then verse 3, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. I am willing. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy left him. Listen, when Jesus began to extend his hand, there's a thousand things happening in the crowd. People are probably trying to pull his hand back. They're holding their breath. They're figuring out if they're going to run away from Jesus. Some likely had faith, but many had no idea what was about to happen. And he reached out his hand and he touched this man. Be healed. In an instant, Jesus healed him physically, 
But through that touch, he began to heal his whole self. Through the eye contact, through the willingness to stop whatever Jesus was up to and engage with this man who everybody had ignored for decades, perhaps, Jesus began to heal his soul, his mind, his relationship. From this point forward, now restoration could begin. At one point, he was kicked out of every relationship he ever knew, but now restoration could begin. He was no longer destined to just die in the wilderness all alone, but now he could reawaken his desire to follow God's purposes and will in his life. He could join gatherings of worship, lifting his voice. Jesus is about healing your physical body, but he is interested in healing your whole self. And then Jesus said this peculiar thing, and we always kind of wonder, like, Jesus, why do you tell people never to tell anybody about this? Like, if it was my ministry, I'd take a picture of that on Instagram, and I'd get going on this thing. But Jesus says, no, don't, don't tell anyone. And, he, and it doesn't explicitly say why. Here's a few things that you can have in the back of your mind, though. Maybe it just wasn't the right timing. Jesus had alluded to that before. Maybe it wasn't the right timing. Maybe Jesus knew that the Father had some other things for him to do, and if that word got out too fast, the craziness would ensue. But I also really love the fact that he tells him to go to the priest. Take the offering required in the law of Moses, because this will be a public testimony. See, the word got out anyway. And, and you know what's interesting is that there hadn't been a healing of leprosy like this since the days of Elisha. And so the priest would have been like, hey, hold on, something is happening right now. God is on the move again. We need to investigate this. We need to find out what this is all about. We don't exactly know why Jesus said to not tell anyone about it, but we do know this, that Jesus healed this man in an instant and began the restoration of healing his whole self. Corey mentioned it earlier, that we are all about joining God's mission, transforming all things. Say it with me out loud. All things. All things. It's your body, but it's so much more. It's salvation, and it's giving your life to Christ for the very first time, but following Jesus means he's willing and able to heal your whole self. It means that in Christ, he will begin the restoration of everything that's been stolen from you, everything that's been rejected, everything that's broken in your life or around you or in the world that you experience. Jesus came to restore your soul and all things. Which brings us back to the original point of this particular text in our time together this morning, that Jesus is willing and able to heal you today. He's willing and able to heal all of you. Now, I would, I would like at this juncture of our time together to just have a pastoral moment with you. And, and if you're new to the vineyard, like, I'm just going to, you're going to learn this about me. I've, I've found out that when I stand on the side of the podium, we're going about to do some pastoral business. So I'm just letting you know that I, I just, I just want to have a real and not that like nothing of this has been pastoral. Hopefully all of this has been pastoral. But right now, you and me, this church, and, and I just want to share with you something that I've seen in the last few months that I feel like God might want us to adjust, to change. Can I be that bold? 
Every week we gather, after the sermon, we have a, we have a, a moment of quiet reflection. And I don't know about you, but I've come to love that little moment of quiet reflection. Our, our culture moves at such a fast pace, and it's, and it's so loud that just sharing in silence for a couple of minutes and asking God to speak to us, it's, it's become so important to me. But after that, we have a time of, of kind of active response. And every single week, that we have that active response, I talk about four ways that you can respond. And we're going to talk about all four of them again today. We're going to talk about how you can worship, how you can give, how you can come forward and take communion, or how you can go back and get prayer. And this is, this is my word. If, if we can have a pastoral moment, this is my word to you. I think we're really good at three out of four of those. If you haven't noticed, the worship is getting louder and louder. Your voices are amazing. I love that about our culture. The generosity is growing. People are giving to God's work at our church. I love that about you. We have to refill these communion things every single week because so many people come forward for communion. But I have been surprised that not very many of us, if we're just being really honest, not very many of us cry out with desperation in the place of prayer. Like this man did. Like something is up in my life, like something is up in my body, like something is wrong with my soul, and I need the king of all kings to minister to me. I mean, this is what we do when we gather, right? Like I was telling a few people before the church service, if, if all my preaching is all you've got, you're in real trouble. I am keenly aware of how good my preaching is, and it won't change your life. It won't. But gathering with other believers and asking God to meet you in his power, that will change you. Inviting the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out, that will change your life. I promise you. It's way better than any sermon that I can write. Getting down before the king and saying, Lord, if you are willing, I know you're able. Now, the reason I think, there's probably a bunch of reasons why we don't go back for prayer, right? Can we just like continue this pastoral moment for a second? There's probably a lot of reasons. Some of you are probably like wondering if God will do anything. And you might find yourself actually really resonating with the leper when he says, if you're willing, because part of your heart wonders if he's actually willing to do anything in your life. If you, if you go back and ask for prayer, if he'll actually transform any part of your soul, any part of your body, any part of your spirit. And so you're hung up on the if you're willing part of this equation. That might be part of the gig. For some of us, we've gone back for prayer either at this church, hopefully not, but maybe other churches, right? And you've had a really bad experience, like someone has done something really weird to you. And now you just don't want to get prayer by anybody at a church because you don't want to repeat that thing. And listen, I get it. Weird prayer can have a way of keeping you from getting real prayer. We always say at the vineyard, don't let a bad experience keep you from a biblical one. And it's biblical to lay hands on one another and ask God to move. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we are really curious about what God may do. And I think for some of us, I wish there was another step I could step out on because I know that this one's gonna be a little hard for some of us to hear. I think maybe for some of us, it's pride. I think for some of us, it's pride. Like in, in our mind and in our hearts, we, we really want God to move just so long as the other church folk don't know that I have something I need prayer for. 
okay? <laughs> like, like, we'd be really good asking for God to move in the privacy of our home just so long as when I go back there to receive prayer, people aren't asking themselves, oh man, Jeff's going back for prayer. I wonder what's going on in his life. Turns out, we don't think that way. If you don't know this, most of us are thinking about ourselves most of the time, right? This is the real thing. So if you go back for prayer, the best case scenario is that God moves in your life in a dramatic way. And the worst case scenario is you're like, I don't know, I guess I'll go get a cup of coffee. Either way, you're winning because you're asking for God to move in your life. And I just implore you, don't let anything keep you from receiving prayer. Don't let pride, don't let fear, don't let a bad example from the past keep you from going to God and saying, I am in desperate need of your movement and power and presence in my life. And a quick side note, because I also feel like I wouldn't be pastoring if I didn't mention this, that sometimes you pray and you don't get healing. And that's a tender subject. And I realize that's a tender subject, and that's a subject that my personal family knows very well, because there are some things that we've been praying for for years, and we haven't seen. If you need a refresher on how faith and healing intersect, I put a link in my sermon notes to a sermon I preached last year called Amateur Healer. And it's all about how faith and healing intersect. And you're welcome to refresh yourself on that theology. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that this morning. That's why I put it in the notes. But this is a real thing. But I'm just letting you know, I want to be the kind of man that asks and keeps on asking. I want to be the kind of church that seeks and keeps on seeking. And we are, whether we know it or not, we're part of a lineage of believers that have knocked and kept on knocking, asking for God to stretch out his hand and do signs and wonders to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. This is who we are. It's quite biblical, actually. It's quite biblical to seek prayer and to offer it to others. John, in this book, I'll read a quote for you. I think it's a fantastic quote. He talks about the biblical nature of healing prayer. This is what he said. Obedience to God's word is the fundamental reason I pray for the sick. It's the fundamental reason I receive prayer personally, even when I don't see healing as a result of one of those prayers. Because if 100 people get prayer and one person is healed, it's more biblical than if nobody receives prayer and nobody is healed. Don't you like that? Like, I'm going to go down swinging. That's a sports analogy for those of you. I'm going down swinging. Like, I will pray and keep on praying, waiting and hoping and expecting God to move with faith. And pretty soon, we're going to move into our time of quiet reflection, which we do every Sunday, and then we're going to move into our time of ministry and response. And I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready because I, I've already told you that I'm going to ask two questions. Do you need to give your life to Christ today for the very first time, and do you need healing? I think both of those things can coexist in one Sunday service, don't you? And we pray for people to give their life to Christ every Sunday. And most of the time, multiple people give their life to Christ. But sometimes, no one raises their hand. But do we keep asking even if we don't see salvation? Absolutely we do. And we're going to ask every Sunday, why not with healing? 
Why not with healing? Why not go back every Sunday and ask God to move in your life until you see him do something? It's the kind of perseverance I want to develop in my heart. It's the kind of perseverance I would love to see in your life. He is willing, and he is able, and he loves to bring restoration to your entire person. And it's from a place of mercy and compassion for you today. Pray with me.